This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still at a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kept kissing him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. He would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. He answered and said to his father, Look, these many years I've been serving you like a slave. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat so that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Oh, my dear son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord.
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder if I could, uh, at the last minute, and if you can't, that's okay, but ask a favor from our technicians, and would it be possible to put up on the screen for the duration of the, uh, of the sermon, the, I believe it's the second verse to the first hymn of How Great Thou Art, when we talk about, when we think of God, his son not sparing. Yeah, that's it, that's it. If you could just hold that up there for the, for the sermon. And uh, again, if... Uh, if my words are hard to concentrate on, I want you to go away with, a, with a, a, uh, something very, very uh, clear that is uh, captured in all that we're doing today, the fourth Sunday of Lent, uh, when we focus on the, um, not only the unfathomable love of God that goes far more beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, his faithfulness uh, shown uh, in giving us Jesus, God incarnate, his son not sparing. Um, this, is the, this is the reality. We scarce can take it in. And a matter of fact, we can't unless we have his grace. And, uh, and there's the reality that we come here to give thanks for today that on the cross, our burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away our sin. But this this parable given today, which is actually a part of, of three parables that form one package, is all given on his final journey to Jerusalem to do just that. And so what I want us to be clear by holding that up here is that everything we say today is anticipating and building towards uh, this moment of his death and resurrection is under the, uh, the shadow of that. It, it lays across uh, these parables and these teachings. And uh, what we're to see is... Um, is the everlasting love of God that is not only calling us home to himself, but is calling him, us into his heart that rejoices over us, to be able to rejoice with him. And what we'll see by looking at the three parables together is there is a, an occasion when uh, those, well, let me back up. Jesus had given a longer parable before this, several verses before this, of a great banquet. And, uh, and all were invited. And then as the final invitations went out, excuses began to be made. And basically what it boiled down to is, we've got a better deal. You know, it may not be the best deal around. You know, I've, I've, I've just bought a field. I've just bought five oaken, uh, 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 yoke of oxen. Uh, I've just gotten married. We've got all sorts of things happening into our life. And one thing that we're sure of is this is more important than you. That somehow we might be actually bored at your banquet. We might actually be bored by the kingdom of heaven. And matter of fact, there was a study done recently. And while most people would not, well, nobody would ever want the horrors of hell that many, many people, even those who fill churches, somehow anticipate being sort of bored in eternity with God in heaven. Actual study being done. I just can't picture it. So, in the, in the parable that Jesus gave of the great banquet being prepared, God says, I want my house filled. 
And he says, go out into the highways and byways. Go out among those who could never possibly earn it or deserve it, as none of us could. But one thing for sure is I want every place filled. And it's my banquet. And I want to rejoice. We're called into his rejoicing. We're called into his banquet. And then Jesus says, shortly after that, let those who have ears hear. Basically is, if you're hearing the invitation, respond. And then immediately after that, what do we hear in the beginning of today's gospel reading? That the Pharisees, excuse me, that the sinners and the tax collectors drew near to hear him. There is an intentional connection. The invitation went out. Hear the invitation, respond. Jesus says, let those who have ears to hear, hear. And then all of a sudden you hear uh, those who are the outcasts of, uh, of uh, the religious world of Jesus' days, hearing. The words are not used by accident. They're responding, and they must have been responding because it got the attention of the religious establishment who were shocked and who were disgusted uh, with Jesus for uh, the invitation to the outcast for eating meals with them, and they said, ah, because he welcomes them, he must uh, be approving of sin. Because he is eating and breaking bread with them and spending time and welcoming them, he's exposing himself to be a fraud, a charlatan, a hypocrite. He must be approving of their sin. Well, of course, the Savior there, anticipating this, that he's going to die for our sin, he's going to bear our burden on the cross, he's going to bleed and die in our place to take away our sin, He's going to give three parables which expose the hardness of heart and the blindness of uh, the religious establishment. And every one of the parables is going to have the declaration and the invitation and the call within it, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. Both an invitation like, this is my heart, this is my joy, to see my creation made in my own image, for whom I'm going to lay down my life and, and uh, die in their place. The ultimate place I'm going to get to is not just the forgiveness of sins, but that they can enter into my joy. And so the picture that I want us to go you know, away from here today uh, along you know, with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is do we carry in our hearts uh, uh, the pictures of God that God in Christ incarnate and Jesus himself gives us of the heart of the Father? Can we, uh, I believe uh, the Psalm said, uh, Psalm 32 uh, the verse was in there of God rejoicing over us with singing. How many times do we picture our Father's heart, the heart of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, singing over us? Uh, other places in Scripture, it talks with shouts of deliverance, shouts of joy. 
Or uh, Jesus uh, talks about the bridegroom. You know, as you, you see the bride coming towards you. Jesus sees his bride, us, his people, his church. That uh, his heart exalts and he just cries out with shouts of joy. Joy and delight in us. He loves us. Let me go and just uh, do what we're not supposed to do. I'm going to break into my silenced iPhone and uh, I just hit uh, on a few verses that, uh, that pick this up so I get them, so I read those uh, correctly from you. Zephaniah, Zephaniah uh, 3.17. Oh, this is, this is so much uh, a favorite. Yahweh, your God, is in the midst of you a mighty one who will save. He rejoices over you with joy. He calms you with his love. He rejoices over you with loud singing. Different uh, versions have this in different ways, but it all contains the idea of rejoicing, joy, singing, loud exultation. And this is the Lord who is present this day with that everlasting love for those who have heard him, who have responded to this invitation that has gone out to all. He's not there to say, because I love you, I approve of what has held you in bondage, what has broken you, what has drawn you from the love of God, which has destroyed you and those around you. No, that breaks my heart. But the old thing, I hate the sin because it destroys the sinner I love. I hate what destroys you because I love you so much. And then again, the call in here by showing the heart of the singing, rejoicing, exalting Father is Jesus saying the question, will you rejoice with me? Can we have joy in what excites the heart of the Father? And the answer for myself, and I think in scripture is, no, we can't unless he puts a new heart within us. That is the shocking, humbling, embarrassing, shameful truth that as we come here today is, no, no, we can't and we don't unless he puts that new heart in us. And so we gather today to worship to say, you have put the new heart in us if we've accepted Jesus as our savior. And we come here today on this end of the, of the table that's a foretaste of that heavenly table, that great banquet to which all have been invited and to which angels and archangels and all the company of heaven are coming in from all directions in time and eternity. And it's the great banquet table at the end of uh, uh, the consummation of, of history, redemptive history. And the Lord comes again and we sit in that table. Well, we sit at a foretaste of that right now. And we can rejoice because as we responded to him, that amazing miracle of grace happens where he places that new heart in us, which grows and grows and grows in its capacity to rejoice in what he rejoices in as we keep repenting and turning to him and deepening ourselves by his grace and fellowship with him. Again, what we're, uh, uh, we're, we're not going to uh, 
uh, do an autopsy on or dissect or go into a lot of deep things on this uh, parable today, which you'll notice I am not calling the parable of the prodigal son. It doesn't say that anywhere in scripture. There were two sons and each equally had a problem. One in their rebellion against the father and the other in having a slave mentality, which uh, they just saw the, you know, they, they, they were a quote, good child, but they lived so far distant from the heart of the father and just saw them himself, him as a harsh taskmaster and them as a slave and somehow uh, uh, if grace was poured out to anybody else, it would rob them of something that they wanted to get from the father. So... Uh, but so for me, on this day, I really see this as, if you understand the word prodigal as being extravagant, it could be extravagant in its uh, wastefulness, which it's usually used, but it's also extravagant like uh, the word prodigious. <laughs> uh, that's a big word for those who English is maybe your second or third language. But basically, uh, the cup overflowing, my cup overfloweth. We say, stop, Lord, it's too much. It's too much, stop. And, and the Lord says, no, grace upon grace, grace upon grace, an ever-flowing stream of life, of his own life, of his own spirit welling up within us so that it can flow through us. But if we see here the extravagant, overflowing love of the Father coming out to us and coming out to us through Jesus, then again, I don't think that's just poetic. I think that's poetry and, and, uh, and lyric in song that is trying to express something that hardly has words to express. We scarce can take it in. And because we scarce can take it in, sometimes we're prone to turn off the tap and not spend time on these uh, uh, images, these parables, these pictures that uh, God gives us of himself in scripture to marinate in, to let them, uh, to, to not just have us translate them, but to have them transform us. Oh yeah, that's a God word. I'll just skip over that. He delights over me with shouts of singing. That's nice. No. No, stop and linger there and let, uh, let uh, it, the scripture begin to penetrate and transform us uh, with God's own words that need to correct, cleanse, flush out, restore those pictures that we have in our mind of ourselves that are too evil to love, too distant to come home, or a God who, who, just, who, couldn't, who just couldn't and doesn't love us that much. At the end of Luke's gospel, it, it uh, says that Jesus appeared to them and they could not trust it out of sheer joy until he opened their minds to understand all that was written about them in the law and the prophets and the Psalms and the writings in the, in the Hebrew Bible. So in these, uh, just looking um, uh, at, at these three parables that make a set, you know, they really, really, if at all possible, should not be 
looked at apart from one another because Jesus gave them all in one moment as one package to challenge, to expose, and yet to put a call upon hearts who could not rejoice, even when they saw the kingdom of God breaking in among them. So to those who complained and said, if you're God, you're too merciful. God shouldn't behave like this. It's shocking. It's wrong. And he said, well, what man of you, if you have a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And you know what? He doesn't put it back in the sheep pen or the field. He brings it into his home with him. And when he comes home, the lamb on the shoulders coming into the home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. This is the point of all three parables working together. That God's heart is rejoicing. God grant us the grace that we can find our joy, our satisfaction in, in God's own heart. Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Now in here, he has compassion on the sheep because the sheep is lost, the sheep, the sheep is harmed. Keep that in mind. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So the joy here is because the sheep was suffering and so there's joy for that. But now the next parable moves into joy because what was valuable to him was lost. Well, the sheep was valuable too, but he says, you know, just be, these things are not just are good for you, these things are important to me. He talks about a woman who has 10 silver coins. If she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Now it's up to them whether they will or not, but she's looking for people to rejoice with her. I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, God's heart is rejoicing because he's the seeking God. He seeks, he seeks, he looks, and he seeks until he finds because he cares about the destruction that comes to us and he seeks until he finds because we're of great value to him. And then both of these aspects come together when he makes it very personal with real people. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father something shocking. Give me, in other words, everything you've got, divide it out now. And while technically that might have been able to have been done, it really left his father vulnerable because this was to care for his father in his old age. And uh, so it was, it was, while legally it was, it was unusual and rare, it could be done, it was not good to do for a lot of reasons, but certainly it was, it was like saying, Dad, I, I wish you were dead. But since you're not, make yourself as good as dead to me by just dividing it up right now. Extremely immoral and wrong and breaking the commandment. He divides the livelihood between them both. 
The son gets out of town as quick as he can and uh, he, he wastes it all and then uh, um, it becomes worse as circumstance of itself make things bad and a, uh, and a Jewish boy, rebellious, is in a Gentile land joined to Gentiles who aren't really even paying him and uh, he's left to do what no uh, Jewish person wants to do, feed pigs and he can't even eat the pods because pigs can eat pods but humans can't because it'll make you sick or you could try but it's not going to work and that phrase, the bottom line is where he thought he would find freedom, he met reality. There is no freedom apart from God. There is no satisfaction other than at his table. And fortunately, no one gave him anything. The bottom was raised. He was allowed to, the grace to hit the end of the rope so that he came to himself. He came to repentance. He said, I'm my own worst enemy. I have sinned. It's, I'm gonna take responsibility and accountability. I blew it. I can't pe- cast blame on this or that or whatever. Man, I was, I was blind and I'm dead and, and uh, it's, it's myself, I, my sin. And uh, he first develops a repentance maybe out of, out of fear, which turns to a repentance of love. He says, wow, I, you know, I, 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 there's no case that I could stand on where I could ever be a son again. Maybe because my dad's a good guy, I could actually be hired and so he, go, he, he turns to go home with a plan, never dreaming that his father would have a love. He could, scarce, he could not take it in. He could not take it in. And gets there to be surprised by the father who appears to have been waiting all along. And this is this, this wild love that the religious establishment just couldn't find in the scriptures. They just couldn't see it. The words were written there. They said them, they memorized them, they said them, but somehow it had not seeped down to their own hearts, souls, and spirits that the God of scripture whom they studied and worshiped, that he would be a God who would patiently wait and when he saw any glimmer of turning towards him, he would run. He would, in Middle Eastern style, lift his long, uh, his robes, expose his bare legs, which is a great shame in that culture, and run, run, run to meet the son who is coming home and be showering him with welcome affection, embrace, overflowing love, and by the ring, the robe, the sandals, giving him full restoration and authority and joy and access uh, to the family life as a son, as all is forgiven. And the question that starts to remain for the end of the parable is, if it wasn't clear enough in the first two, rejoice with me. Is that something, remember he's speaking to the religious establishment who were saying is, you don't behave like the God we see in our scripture. You don't behave like that. You're a fraud. 
And Jesus said, you don't understand the scriptures and the power of God. And he tells these to say, this is the right interpretation of scripture. Again, just like at the end of Luke, he'll open the disciples' minds so that they can understand. And they'll say, wow, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? Why did their hearts burn within them? Because what was there all the time, they could not see until by his grace, he gave them God's heart and God's eyes to see. But there it was all the time, the God who longs for us and rejoices for us and his son not sparing sends him to die. We can scarce take it in. On the cross, our burden gladly bearing, he bleeds and dies to take away our sin. Wow, then now sings our soul, our Savior God to thee. Wow, how great thou art. How great thou art. The the parable ends with that encounter with the religious establishment, with that spirit within us, which needs, where our heart needs to be more and more transformed by his grace because I don't know about you but I certainly am so so discouraged at times when I see so much the spirit of the elder brother in me and say boy I've got the story of I can tell you my testimony of the of the uh, of the prodigal son but but them also that's also me and uh and I too much of that Slave mentality. Look, I slave for you. I work for you. I try to be good. I try to repent. Repent in just sort of being extra hard religious, not repent in coming home to your embrace. I'm still uh, not excited about the people that you're reaching. We, we have that phrase, Lord, give me your heart. Boy, my heart is cold towards that person. My heart is cold towards my, my parent, my spouse, my child, my neighbor, the other people in my congregation. I just don't like them. And what do we have to pray? Lord, give me your heart. Because we can try and try and try. So, well, the Bible says I should. So like the elder brother, I'm gonna try real hard and I'm gonna hold myself to my own standards and think, oh, I'm getting better. But the reality is, until God puts his heart in for the people and gives us his burden and his love for one another, uh, someone just says, we're just pasting paper leaves on a fake tree. We're not growing real fruit, we're pasting on cardboard fruit or paper fruit onto the vine, like we would like ourselves to look. And, but the, the parable ends open-ended, where the father says, uh, no, we have to rejoice. This is what I'm doing, this is what we have to do. We say today, it's a right and good and joyful thing, always and everywhere to lift up our hearts to you. This is what we're to do because that's God's heart. And uh, the parable does not end saying what happened. Well, we know what happened at the end is that uh, uh, the religious establishment, our own sin says no, and when God is, and, uh, and we put him on the cross, and, and as we are saying no to him by our sin, crucifying him, our Savior is stretching out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross and saying, Father, forgive. So the end of the parable is clear. All of us by our sin say we're not coming in. That's what our sinful nature says. And he says, well, I'm on my way to Jerusalem 
and I'm going on that cross for you anyhow, and I'm dying to take away your sin and dying in your place, and then I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to keep on seeking you out, seeking you out, and as we turn to him, you know, he creates that new heart within us. I just want to close with one place within here where this is, uh, over the years, this is parable has really challenged me very deeply. Uh, you know, again, at one point of our life, maybe we see it more from, oh, I'm, I know my sin, and if I turn to the Father, will he forgive me? And we take great relief from the parable by knowing that like the prodigal child, uh, God is there with his saving embrace. Other times things can convict us of uh, we still have so far to go and to grow. We have that, uh, that uh, we can see within ourselves like, oh shame, oh Lord, you showed me where even though, even though I'm in your kingdom, I, my repentance needs to go deeper because I'm still not coming into the banquet. I'm still not rejoicing with you. I still don't have a love and a, and a concern for those you, you call me to love a concern for. Uh, I'd rather go and stay outside and be grumpy and mad and complain than to let you deal with my heart. But the part where in the, the last uh, you know, season of my life, and maybe you have to get to the place where you're a parent or a grandparent or responsible for other people's lives, certainly as a pastor I've noticed that I say, oh Lord, I never saw that when I was younger was the season that it comes where we're not seeking, we can't any longer seek someone as the shepherd going out and looking or as the woman searching for the coin. But the seeking heart that the Lord wants to give us is one where the only thing left to do is not give up, but we have to give one over to the hands of God and we have to enter in to the mature and grieving, loving heart of the Father that just has to wait on the porch. We don't say how long he waited, but as a pastor of a congregation where you see things like you can't fix people, you still want to seek them and love them and serve them, but uh, you can't fix a lot of things. It doesn't, it's not always just the shepherd running out or the woman searching. Sometimes it's like, Lord, I'm not giving up, but I have to literally do a holy waiting. And then you're starting to enter in to what it means to say, give me the Father's heart. That sometimes before there's the rejoicing, there's the rejoicing because we have to know those seasons of, uh, of, of just trusting deeper than we ever thought we'd have to trust before. Again, in sometimes in our most intimate relationships or especially in our marriage, in our children, in our families, in those places that were to be good and safe and home for us, which had become broken and unsafe and sometimes ravaged by the enemy spiritually or by the harm we do to one another, parishes where, where, where things happen, ministry organizations, 
And we say, give me the Father's heart. And he says, will you really accept my heart? Will you do that work of, of holy, not giving up, but giving over and trusting me and waiting, even at times where it seems the waiting will never end? I just, I keep looking down at the floor because I keep thinking of those times where my wife and I have really known no other thing to do than we went into the church where we served or our room at home and just literally laid prostate on the floor. Not even knowing what words to pray, but just letting our hearts break over a person. Fear not. Fear not entering into this parable and learning the, uh, from the Father how to be prodigal by meaning ex- extravagant, lavish in our being waiting with him for others and then being re- ready to run out and then ready to rejoice. I'm probably saying this poorly and not clearly because I've decided just to throw this in at the last minute, but it's probably the very meat of where I am and where I'm struggling is uh, so many times we want things quick and easy and whatever. I think one of the big points of this parable is it's not quick and easy and whatever. That uh, God's grace is sure, his sovereignty is sure, but yet there's this, uh, there's this uh, uh, in Scripture, all the places where he teaches about uh, his shouts of deliverance and his uh, songs of victory and, his, and his, his rejoicing over the bride has been after uh, an intense period of his uh, waiting, of giving us over at times, not to give up, but that we could come to that point where we would be hungry for him and for his heart. And that very point where we wonder, is he going to be there at all? And he says, I've been here the whole time, loving you with an everlasting love. And now, wow, we really have something to rejoice about. And when I think, what is the proof of that? What is the evidence in history, in eternity, that when I think, that God, his son, Jesus, did not spare, but he sent him to die in my place. I scarce can take it in, but it happened anyhow. On that cross, my burden he gladly bore. He bled and died to take away my sin. Actually, let's, let's, as, our, as our final, as our prayer, let's just sort of and then sing the chorus. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.